Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, SGS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. Tonight, you're in for yet another treat. Uh, by the way, speaking of true crime, um, I was asked and humbled to do uh, Nancy Grace's podcast it's going to be out tomorrow uh, i will tweet it out at podcast sgs on twitter and uh post it on uh instagram at surviving the survivor so please check it out uh nancy skewered me a little bit but sort it's sort of a badge of honor so uh we'll see mm -hmm. how, uh, how that plays out once the edit process here there's no editing but nancy uh, edits her sh show but she is um i love being on her show because uh she is a an icon in this genre and uh, always, uh, always interesting to be a part of. So, again, welcome to another episode. The, the big question tonight is what is going on in Detroit? It's been eight months since Dr. Devin Hoover was found murdered in his historic one point two million dollar Detroit mansion. Uh, he's an openly gay man, a renowned neurosurgeon, and he was found naked, wrapped in a carpet in his attic with two bullet wounds to his head. This happened back in April. You fast forward eight months later, still no arrest. There was an arrest at one point, but that person was let go. Meanwhile, same story with a different story. Uh, an arrest was made in the murder of synagogue president Samantha Wool. She made big headlines because this murder happened just after uh, the Hamas attack on Israel on October 7th, and she's a synagogue president. A lot of people thought it was a hate crime. The Detroit PD has come out and said it is not a hate crime, and uh, neither case to this day has been solved. And, of course, we have to ask why. Uh, Joining us today, of course, our best guest, Chief James Craig, uh, should be here. It appears he's running late. Um, he's on East Coast time, so uh, he should be here. He was chief of the Detroit uh, PD uh, back in 2013 to 2021. He was also chief of the Cincinnati Police Department and Portland, Maine's Police Department. Three big departments, brings a wealth and breadth of experience. Again, hoping he will join us shortly. And uh, he actually ran uh, for governor of the great state of Michigan. And I think he may be planning to do that again, was also deputy mayor of Detroit. So quite the resume. And also with quite the resume, first time on STS, big warm welcome to Darnell Z. Blackburn. He is a former police officer. I believe it is Auburn Hills, Michigan. He'll clarify that for us. He recently joined WDIV Local 4. That is my old, not that station, but my old world, local reporting. Tough job, great job. And he is the station's crime and safety expert on all platforms. He provides in-depth analysis as part of the station's approach to its crime reporting to help viewers better understand what is important. Uh, no rub against Darnell, but hopefully there'll be a day when you don't need someone to explain crime. Uh, hopefully that day will come. And I bet you Darnell will be happy to be out of that job if that day ever does come. Last but not least, Steve Peterson, wicked Steve Peterson from the great city of Boston. He was a senior special agent of the United States Department of Justice. He worked for the DEA, otherwise known as the Drug Enforcement Agency. 
We also did a special show with him about a clandestine methamphetamine lab that became the inspiration behind the television series Breaking Bad. He busted the real life Walter White. Uh, what a career he had. He was also re- recently featured in the Net- Netflix series about the Murdoch murders. So uh, just a quick note, please, um, if you can, support us on Patreon, uh, support us on YouTube. If you can't do that, I understand. Uh, if you could give us five stars on the audio platform, I'd greatly appreciate that. You know, sometimes I post our hate mail. Look at this. Someone saying hi to Darnell. Um <laughs> already but uh you know we got a one star review yesterday i should have i should have brought it i should have i should have read it i don't even know what i did with it but basically it said why do you have your mom on your show i don't know if darnell knows this but it's called surviving the survivor because my mother is a holocaust survivor she comes on once a week someone said she's worthless do you hear that sts nation um you know what carmela said when i showed that to her Carmela said she's dead to me. That's what she said. That's what my mother, Holocaust survivor, said. Are you sure they were asking about your mother, Joel, or were they mistaking Nancy Grace for your mother? I'm not- <laughs> Steve Peterson always bringing the humor. I love it. But um, that woman can buzz right off. I think it's still posted on my uh, on my Instagram site. Look at this. We're the best community. I would say best guest, better community. Welcome Darnell from Meg P. So let's. Um, just jump right into this um darnell you're you're in that neck of the woods in the detroit area chief james craig is supposed to be here and i hope he shows up but we will be able to get along without him uh if he doesn't but chief white from james craig to james white he just addressed the public he's the current detroit police chief and he he addressed both of these uh crimes and we'll break them down but in regards to dr devin hoover um He was murdered back uh, in April, so it's been eight months, and he says that the community has anxiously been awaiting answers in the murder of Dr. Devin Hoover, again, a renowned neurosurgeon, an openly gay man. But then Chief White says he has no new information and went on to say that neither of the crimes are related. Um, This is becoming a little bit of a public relations nightmare for the PD. What what do you make of this? And obviously the chief felt like he had to come out and say something, but really said nothing in doing that. So, so let's, let's start with uh chief white. Who's an excellent guy, Joe, excellent mm-hmm. guy. And I mean that from the perspective of uh, as a, a person that, that cares about the city of Detroit, as well as a leader, he's not just a great guy, but an awesome leader. I, what What's going on with this situation as, as again, I can speculate is that, you know, DPD wants to, to, dot every I and cross every T. I don't know if you're familiar with our, our prosecutor, the Wayne County prosecutor, Kim Worthy, yep. um, here in the city of Detroit. She she uh, famously uh, prosecuted Kwame Kilpatrick um, and, you know, kind of facilitated that entire case. And I, I'll tell you that just because they're not saying um, that they have leads doesn't mean that they don't have any. And I, I know that in, in this situation, it definitely has become a PR nightmare um, because they, there were some some statements made. I, I think the chief made a statement about, uh, hey, before snowfall, um, we'll we'll have this person in, in custody. And uh, the snow always falls in Michigan pretty early. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we I don't know if he meant like uh, accumulated snow or just flurries. So uh, <laughs> if you talk about accumulated, we're all right because uh, nothing's really accumulated. 
So he still has a, maybe uh, ten minutes. But as far as uh, as as far as that goes, I mean, I I I, I know that um, you know from what I'm understanding and hearing, they definitely or certainly have some people that they're looking at. And again, the DPD has has jumped the gun in, in the past, as most large agencies have, trying to uh, close a case without having enough evidence to make sure that this case can be properly prosecuted. So, in, in terms of that, I, w- I would speak to that and say, hey, they 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 want to do a, their due diligence before they they put anyone out here, and even that that person that they had in, that that um, that they had in custody was not formally charged ultimately they ended up letting that person go and so even in that type of situation they they wanted to make sure that you know whatever that person knew whatever the connection was that they didn't blow this by trying to charge somebody without enough evidence um yala says the kwame kilpatrick text or something that's a whole other show that we're going to get to just so you know uh chief white is trying to get on uh, he, like myself, is is a little tech challenge. Oh, there he Chief is. Craig. Chief He's Craig. Coming on. Chief Craig. I'm sorry, Chief Craig. I got to keep it straight. We got Chief James Chief, White and Chief James, James Craig. Craig. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let me let me see if um, I'm going to let him. Uh, he is situating himself, but he, I see him in in the background. So we will get there. Um, Darnell, back to you for a quick second here. Uh, this home that we're looking at, and I'm going to bring it back up right now so everyone can see it. A beautiful home. It is the Boston Edison District of Detroit. Tell us mm-hmm. about that neighborhood. By the way, Carm for president. You see that? Um, mm-hmm. You don't mess with Carm. You can mess with me or Steve Peterson or Darnell. But yeah, don't mess with Carm. Okay, Dude, I don't, I don't want no problem. Yeah. No problem. But uh, this, this historic, yeah. historic neighborhood in Detroit. Um, beautiful homes. Uh, you know, uh, Fisher or, or Motown legends, uh, Chrysler uh, uh, founders. Beautiful Beautiful historic homes. Um, as far as the, the 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 safety and security of these areas, some areas have security, designated security that other than the police, some don't. Um, in, in these areas, they're pretty free roam. You can walk walk through the area. It's not it's not segregated. It's not gated. So um, anybody can pretty much come and go as they please in these particular in that particular area, the Boston Edison District. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I'm jealous because that house in Miami would be about $45 million where I live. But uh, Detroit in that area is still relatively, relatively a steal at $1.2 million. But it's a beautiful home, absolutely beautiful home. I know Detroit's going to make a huge comeback. It already is. Um, We're doing it, baby. Yeah, it's a great city. It's a beautiful city, man. It deserves a great comeback. Um, Steve Peterson. You've never been this quiet for this long. Uh, I just <laughs> want to get your perspective on this. You're sort of the outsider here, obviously, coming to us from South Carolina via Boston. Um, you know, they had an arrest in in each of these cases. The suspect was ultimately released from custody. And as you just heard, of course, the chief uh, came out, Chief White came out and basically was trying to make amends with the community. I have no doubt he's a good guy uh, with a tough job, but um, at what point, in your opinion, does this become a bit of a PR nightmare for the Detroit Police Department where, where people in the public are saying, you know, what are these guys doing? Are they able to solve these crimes? Well, I think it's already become a PR problem. You know, sadly, the public, most people, they watch shows like 48 Hours. They watch all these crime shows on TV. 
and the air, the cops always get the bad guy within an hour. And that's not reality. You know, so you might know, they might know exactly who did this, mm-hmm. but without evidence, without evidence that you can introduce in court, what have you got? You know who did it, but you cannot be able to prove it in court. And until you're able to prove it in court, remember, you only have one shot in court. If you if you go and take that shot prematurely and and your suspect gets off, he gets acquitted. There's there's no second bite at the apple. So it's much better, although you certainly want to solve all crimes immediately. That's that's not reality. Take your time, do it methodically, collect your evidence, interview your witnesses, put it together so when you do go to court, when you get an indictment, when you bring it before a judge, when a jury listens, you can convince everybody. That's the important thing. Uh, well, well said, Steve Peterson. And look who it is. It is Chief James Craig, the future governor of the great state of Michigan. Oh, no, uh, no, no, not the future governor. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, no. uh, Chief, can you do me a favor? Can you turn your phone sideways on landscape mode for me? There you go. Perfect. Well, you know, I'm trying to get this. This is very difficult. I don't know how long I'm going to be able to do it because my computer is uh, uh, not not acting yeah right. well you know what flip it back the other way we're yeah. live on tv this is why i say that no uh, you you can leave it as is it's not uh it's not hey, a man, grab your glasses man it may help get your glasses out man. <laughs> That's uh, no, no. Getting... I, I don't need my glasses i don't know I, I, I don't know what's I mean, going on i've probably here. been doing this a little longer than you so uh, i'm good I, I, okay you can okay. you can date yourself if you want to buddy how you doing man uh, i'm good how you doing Something tells me that Darnell and the chief know each other. So, so Chief yeah. Craig, um, yeah. your, your counterpart, your current, uh, your contemporary here, Chief White, is having, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough job. There's two high-profile unsolved cases. And he came out uh, just in the last few days to speak to the public to basically say he has not no, in, no new information on either of these uh, cases. And he said... Um, that, there, that he would have had an answer on the Devin Hoover, the neurosurgeon case, by the time, as Darnell just pointed out, that snow was on the well, ground. Snow. Well, I don't know. I don't know what made him say that. That that I, mean, I don't know what the validity of snow on the ground has to do with solving the case. But that's just me. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm not criticizing because I just don't know enough about this case. But I suspect if you've taken someone into custody as a person of interest, that means that they probably had probable cause to arrest. Ultimately, in Wayne County, it is the prosecutor who says, well, yeah, you may have probable cause to arrest, but do we have enough for certainty of prosecution? That has been a standard. I dealt with it. I didn't always agree with it. I'm not saying that's the case in this instance, because again, I don't know enough about it. In fact, there's been very little information given to the, the community about what's going on with this case. It's just not enough information. And the one thing I might've been criticized as the chief for giving out a lot of information or being referred to as Hollywood Craig, but I felt a responsibility to make sure I was getting information out to the public. I mean, these are high profile cases. And when you think about uh, the woman who was a leader in a Jewish community, and I appreciate the fact that 
he made almost a certainty that, you know, it wasn't uh, a hate crime. And maybe they gave some sense of relief because it was the timing of it. But if not a hate crime, what was it? And I think, you know, if there was no evidence of forced entry, uh, that tends to suggest that the uh, the suspect was acquainted with the victim. It tends to suggest that. But well, again, you know, I'm speculating, and I hate to speculate because when I was a chief, I had information. I, I don't have any information on either one of these two cases, only what I hear on the news. What I love about Chief James Craig is he's very measured, he's very thoughtful, and uh, most investigators are. Uh, Chief mm-hmm. Craig, it is, uh, I, I shouldn't, it, it's, it's, it's not my place, but if you have a, I, I feel like I hear uh, some uh, ambient noise there, maybe on a TV or radio. Oh, if you can do okay. that. Well, and I'm going to come back to you in just a moment, but, but um, Darnell, back to you. I, lo- I love having Ch- Chief James Craig on here. Uh, Wesley John Holmes, he's an Australian living in Tokyo. He says the doctor's death looks like a lover or otherwise uh, someone who is familiar to him in the surroundings of the estate. Is there any way to, uh, assess that at this point even darnell i'm i'm with the chief too in, in terms of of what the chief just said i mean we can speculate joe and uh, for somebody to have access to your home or to to be in your home um without forced entry no sign of that again that that lends to the acquaintance idea and so you know we we can't speculate i mean it could be a lover it could have been a person that wanted to be it could be a number of things a number of people so that's kind of the the challenge it's you know the familiarity is is something to look at as it's somebody similarly situated to an acquaintance in some way and and i want to if i could joe go back to what the the chief was saying about the uh about samantha wall's uh, uh death and i think you know, one of the big things, or one of the good things about that is like like Chief White said, that this is not a, a hate crime. For it not to be a hate crime, it's it does speak, again, speculation speaks speak specifically to the fact that for this to be, for somebody to gain in, entry into this person's home without force or, or any, any type of, of violent measure to get in, that there is, again, some sort of acquaintance there. And just like the chief said, and what I I said earlier about the prosecutor, you know, you can you can know. And Steve said this, too, as well. You can know who did it. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, you know, this person did it. But proving it is the issue. And I think that one of the things that that happens in a situation like this is that, you know, the department jumped on it and said, OK, we got some a person of interest in, in custody. And then, you know, just to kind of quell all the noise. And now. <laughs> They ended up having to let that person go because there wasn't enough evidence per the prosecutor and the prosecutor's office to say we're going to issue a warrant for this particular person. So it doesn't mean that they don't have somebody in their crosshairs. And no, it's just a matter of continually proving it. Uh, Chief, back to you. You're going to have to unmute yourself. Um, By the way, Andy Schools uh, in our community, STS Nation, she's in Detroit. She says Kim Worthy is the goat. Love her. She doesn't mess around. Speaking about the state's attorney there, um, Chief. So Chief White came out about this, you know, snow falling on the ground comment and said 
in any event, probably an uh, artful statement on my part. Snow has fallen, and that's why we're here today. The chief went on to say things have come up that compromised his hopeful timeline, but the investigation is still on track. I don't know Chief White. Darnell speaks very highly of him. Um, this this statement, just as a journalist, rings very hollow to me. Doesn't seem like there's a lot of meat on the bones. I'm just wondering from your perspective, Chief, you've been in three different large cities, Portland, Cincinnati, and Detroit. You've been around the block. What, in your opinion, should be done by uh, the head of the police department in a situation like this? Well, again, as I said earlier, it's unfortunate. I don't know a lot of the details. I have no idea why someone would say, well, by the time of the first snow, we'll have some closure. I mean, what does that have to do with anything? That doesn't make sense to me. And so, you know, what needs to be said and, and maybe, I mean, Darnell talked a, a bit about it, but what I know, because I've worked with this prosecutor's office, and I said it earlier in my remarks, was there probable cause to arrest? Was there reasonable suspicion to detain? Because what happens, you have 48 hours. Once you make the arrest, you got 48 hours before the prosecutor will either sign the warrant or the, the person's released. And typically what will happen, the prosecutor will give a, a list of to-do items uh, so that they feel secure that this case is prosecutable. I don't know if that was the instance here. I mean, was there enough to arrest him based on probable cause? Don't know, uh, because I don't know enough about it. But if it was enough, then... He should have been charged, and then the department and the prosecutor's office could then go and build their case uh, with this whole notion of certainty of prosecution. But again, I'm speculating, and I hate to speculate, because when I was a chief, I would have information. And I knew it was very dicey in terms of what you could let out without compromising or undermining the investigation. But I felt a solemn responsibility to the community to give them as much as I could give them without doing that. And so, so what may happen, they may rearrest this person. It could happen because they've met the requirements of the prosecutor's to-do list. And that way, now the prosecutor say, okay, we can go ahead and charge now. But in the meantime, the suspect's out. Who is the suspect? Is he a, a threat to the community? Was this an isolated incident? Was there a, you know, a relationship between the victim and the suspect? Don't know any of that. You know, so... Yeah. Um, in these cases, I got to tell you, uh, because I came in at a time where in 2013 where the police department only solved 11% homicide investigations, 11%. Uh, embarrassing low for a major city police department. And so one of the things that I want to do was to change that. Most of these cases are solved because of relationship with community. 
somebody knows who committed this this murder. Somebody knows it. And so the key is most homicides are solved that way. Somebody's going to, in an anonymous way, call and say, hey, look, we, um, I know who did it, but I don't want to be identified. And you have to give that community person reassurance that you'll build your case. But, you know, so again, I'm speculating. I really hate to do that because there's a lot of what ifs. You know, but to say a comment about the first falling snow, I, I'm, I'm clueless on that one. Yeah, that doesn't seem to make sense. Uh, Chief Craig, I'm uh, worried for you. Uh, you can let you if you want, you can rest that phone against something if you're holding it, because uh, I know I would not have the arm strength to hold a cell phone, even though you're a chief, you're law enforcement and much tougher than I. But you can rest that phone against something if it's easier for you. So please. Yeah, feel free to no, do I, that. I appreciate you saying that. I just I'm disappointed <laughs> for whatever reason. I've gone on Streamline on my laptop. So, well, you, you know, it makes you feel better. I was I always have problems. Um, Darnell, I'm going to come back to, to you and ask you what you look for in the chief. But first, uh, to Steve Peterson, uh, by the way, Joyce Miller, surviving the survivor at gmail.com. Please reach out if you know anyone. One of the sort of, uh, I don't know, distressing things about this story is, at least on the Devin Hoover side, no one really wants to speak. And I think that it would benefit the community uh, to get the word out there. So you say, Joyce, that you live in the area that Dr. Hoover grew up in. You know his family. Uh, the door here is always open. Please reach out, surviving the survivor at Gmail. You've got Colleen who says, Chief Craig, good to see you. I am from Cincinnati. Oh, Cincinnati. Yes, <laughs> yes. And then Steve Peterson, hi from Southie, a real Southie. Uh, Steve Peterson. Okay. Um, let's let's break these cases down. So Samantha Wall, uh, there was a suspect in this murder. It happened in October. Uh, she, of course, is the Detroit synagogue leader. She was also a left wing political advisor. Um, they arrested somebody and they released him from custody just a day or so later. Um, and he was brought in without being booked for a crime. Uh, this was confirmed by the Detroit News uh, from this suspect's attorneys, a woman named Allison Krieger and Mark Krieger, who I'm sure <coughs> Darnell and the chief know of. But what do you make of this again, that they brought this person in, uh, they made kind of a mini spectacle of it, and then, you know, summarily release this person? Well, there's so as as everybody's already acknowledged, we're all on the outside. We don't have any inside information as to what's going on. So we have to rely on news articles, reports, that kind of stuff, information coming out. And and in the sad case of, of Ms. Waller or Ms. Wall, the she went to a wedding. She came home from the wedding after midnight. Her body's found 630 in the morning the next day. Um, she bled out on her front yard. And there's a blood trail that leads inside the house. So they, we expect that the evidence would show she was murdered in the house. And then she tried to flee or she tried to get help and she crawled out and, and, and died in the yard, right, really. But, the, you know, it goes right back to this issue, the issue of it doesn't matter what we know. Nobody goes to jail based on what you know. People go to jail based on what you can prove. 
So there's so many unanswered questions. How did she get home from the wedding? Did she drive herself? Somebody else drive her? Was she alone? Somebody follow her? I mean, there's a lot of unanswered questions there. The fact that there's a an undisturbed Israeli flag in her home is what the reports have indicated. Um, what Chief White has made the comment, well, this was not an anti-Semitic killing because otherwise you would anticipate the person to tear down the flag, I guess. But if you kill somebody, if you stab somebody several times and they, they run out the door, you're not going to stick around in the house to pull down the flag and desecrate her home to make a point. You're going to try to escape and get out of there. So there's a lot of information we don't know, just like with with uh, with Dr. Hoover, you know, his he, he one of the family members calls the police, asked them to do a wellness check. He missed some type of event or gathering. Police go there based on what they find in the home. They search the house and find his body wrapped in a sheet, wrapped in a comforter, covered with a blanket in the attic crawl space. Now. If you were not familiar with the home, how would you even know there's an attic crawl space anywhere? And how would you know to drag a body up there? You know what I mean? So you you have to go by what we're told. So it just, but it, it all leads to speculation. And until the police can connect the dots and come up with evidence that they feel not only can they introduce in court, but would convince a jury beyond a reasonable doubt. Because nobody wants to take a case to court if they're not certain, we can convict this guy. And I'm saying guy, I mean convict this person, right? If we can't convict somebody, why drag him into court? It only wastes our time. It embarrasses us. It, it shows us to be incompetent, and it allows the guilty to escape. And none of us want that. So what's, these things take time. What, what's, to me, what is personally fascinating about these two cases and about other unsolved cases is you – you literally watch these three uh, seasoned investigators working through things uh, in their mind. Uh, Darnell, I was going to go to you, but we just got a comment that I think is interesting um, coming from Brianna, young African-American woman. So, Chief, I'd love for you to take a shot at this. Uh, she just has a simple question. Do crimes ever get solved in Detroit? This is the sort of question that, that arises, I think, when the police chief, and I'm talking about Chief White, stumbles uh, in terms of PR, in terms of assuring the community they're okay, then you get these questions. How do you answer Brianna here? Well, you know, as I've said in my earlier remarks, you know, at the end of the day, did the department have enough to arrest this person of interest based on probable cause? Probable cause does not mean certainty of prosecution. It just means that there's enough evidence to make the arrest. That's what police officers do. Now, some prosecutors want a, a, a neat package. They want to make sure everything is bundled up in such a way that when they move forward, that there's a certainty of prosecution. Well, sometimes you're not going to be able to. And this is the only place I had to deal with that. When I was in L.A., it was very different. Now, you arrest somebody on probable cause, they get arrested, and at some point, the district attorney's office would make a decision whether or not there was a, uh, enough evidence 
to race ba- uh, arrest based on probable cause. But certainty of prosecution, that's a different standard. And no one likes to talk about it. I used to talk about it, and it upset some folks. But that's the reality. Now, now, granted, I understand the necessity to have a case, and you, you don't want to arrest someone wrongfully, but doesn't mean it's a, it's a bad arrest. It just means what standard, what does the prosecutor's office want to make sure? Now, White's not going to go into that level of detail. I used to because I felt a need to do it. I'm not going to talk about snow. I'm not going to talk about birds chirping in the springtime. What I am going to say is here's where we are. Uh, we, we've, we've made some some headway in this case, but this is where we are. And then, you know, there are going to be things that the prosecutor wants. And frankly, as a police chief, as police officers, we may not always agree. I said, why do we need to have that to guarantee the person should be arrested based on probable cause? Because if his phone records, let's go ahead and charge him and we'll get you the phone records. And again, I'm speculating and I want to be fair to the prosecutor's office because I don't know. But if they brought this person into custody, there was a reason why. It wasn't random, you know. So that's my thought, my my nickel, my two cents. I'm muted. I was going to say that's a good nickel, more like seven cents, I would say. Terry Howie has a question for you, Chief. Chief, yes. can you ask persons of interest to volunteer to give a DNA swab without an arrest? That is the question to you. You know, I err on the side of probable cause. I mean, there's two standards. There's reasonable suspicion. Reasonable suspicion is where you have the lawful authority to detain someone and but not necessarily enough to arrest. Probable cause is very different. And police officers typically will and do make that decision. And if there's probable cause, but again, in this county, the prosecutor wants to make sure there's a certainty of prosecution, which is different than probable cause. Because you might have probable cause to arrest someone. There's no guarantee it's a certainty of prosecution. It's just not. There's not going to be a cert because it goes to a jury trial and they may opine that, uh, you know, yeah, that was enough evidence to make the arrest, but just not enough beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the standard. Beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's a heavy lift. That's very different than probable cause. And so, again, this is me speculating, uh, but having worked here and having worked in other uh, cities, I understand. And I do understand you want to suspect that if you arrest on probable cause, I mean, because it's something called conviction rate. The, The federal government touts that they love to say that they have a 98% conviction rate. 
Okay, that's that's great. But how many people are not in custody because of that standard of the 98%? That doesn't mean it wasn't probable cause to arrest. It may be a technicality involved that might say, well, you know, there was enough to arrest based on probable cause, but we don't feel the standard was met for the jury or the court and say, yeah, uh, they proved beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the standard, beyond a reasonable doubt, which is another way of saying certainty of prosecution. <laughs> there you go. And I'm not uh, a lawyer. And, and in the interest of uh, full disclosure, I am not a lawyer, uh, but I, am, I have been a practitioner uh, in this work for over 44 years. So because I'm not a lawyer, I still have an eye opine, and I'm good at what I've done. And the problem with me, I'm going to call it like I see it. You probably know more than uh, 99% of lawyers. No offense to lawyers. Michael Osel, lest you think we are not a global show, morning from Mumbai, Joel. Love to see that. I don't think I've seen Mumbai in here, but I've seen a lot of other wild places like Nepal was uh, in the chat the other day. Uh, Darnell, back to you. Um, number one, uh, how 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 big a story are these two cases in Detroit right now? You work for uh, WDIV Local Four. How big is how big are these stories? As big as till the next big story comes, <laughs> as you know in media. Um, I mean, you know, it, it'll it'll resurface when things other things die down. Um, right now, we we have the Hamas and things that are going on internationally, and we have some other things, but they'll rear their they'll rear their head again. I mean, it's not it, it still gets talked about, so this will still be a big story. Um, I want to talk about something that that the chief talked about. This certainty certainty of prosecution, if I. I could Joe, yes, you know, thinking about this a little bit is that's kind of an oxymoron statement, but I get exactly where the chief is coming from. That that's the biggest challenge in all of this. You know, it is the issue is packaging. You know, we police officers form, you know, working in law enforcement, Steve and the chief knows we put together these packages based on the standards and the evidence that we have that based on the probable cause to make the arrest. And then the expectation goes that based that you trust us to do our job. We've given you the, the elements of the crime. We've wrapped it up so that you can get the warrants and then we present it. And what happens is the prosecutor says that's not enough or that is enough. And so th this certainty of prosecution is, is always an issue. It's always an issue. I can say this beyond a shadow of a doubt and not speculation that these people that in, in the Samantha Wall case and in the uh, uh, Dr. Dr. Uh, uh, Devin Devin's case, De Devine rather, these two people who were arrested, the police department felt they had enough information to make those arrests and the obviously they the prosecutor didn't agree with that so you know it, it speaks to the level of i want to say overconfidence it speaks to the level of we are confident that we have enough but hey the prosecutor the other arm the the prosecutorial arm of this says no that's not enough and so there's always going to be this this certainty of prosecution how this is packaged and presented where we feel that we have enough versus they don't feel that there is and that's that's a huge issue in law enforcement and, and, and uh, I, 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 I got to cut in i mean the standard of certainty of prosecution 
is not a standard for probable cause to arrest. Probable cause to arrest is very different. Certainty of prosecution might be what that office wants because they want a nice, neat, tied-up case. And ask somebody in the department, But although people are not going to talk in this administration, but I didn't have a problem saying it. That's not the standard for the arrest. It's and I'm not, I'm not saying that it is. I, I need you to understand. I'm not saying that it is. I'm saying that this is always going to be a problem. It has been a problem with law enforcement working together from the prosecutorial side to the evidence gathering side, this whole arm. I'm not saying that it, it that should be the case at all. I'm saying that this is always going to be a challenge. And that's why we run into these situations, because is it enough? You know, as, as cops, we're investigating it. We got this, this, and this. We've met the elements of, of the crime and making the arrest. And the prosecutor says, okay, that's great. Or they say, no, we need more because we want this bowl. We want to make sure it's sealed properly. And then there, there's some of that is also past practices that they're running to. I'm not saying that it's right in any way to have an expectation that we, one side should do all the work or one side should be say, hey, that's how we need it. I'm saying that this is always a challenge in law enforcement. And that's why we're here today in this position. Well, to be uh, candid, because I have the lengthy history, let me just say this in the interest of candor. I understand the prosecutor's historic concerns of the Detroit Police Department. I touched on it earlier. Uh, Detroit, at one point, I'm not saying it's the case now. But when I got here in 2013, they were only solving 11% homicide cases, 11%. And certainly um, the view was that some of the investigations were shoddy, they weren't thorough. And a lot of times if the prosecutor's office made a decision to go along with the department and say, we're gonna sign this warrant, but we're gonna need these seven things as we're preparing for the preliminary exam, we're gonna need these seven things. And then the department would not follow through. And so it makes the prosecutor's job a challenge because if they need these seven things, of course they need it, but there's a different standard. And, and again, I was hoping that that changed because we did became, become a more thorough investigative uh, agency and our, and our clearance rate did rise, but it was still this whole notion, do we trust this police department enough that they're gonna give us these seven things before this preliminary exam? Because if not, we're not gonna be able to move this case over to trial. So in one sense, I get it. And there were many, many problems uh, with the department. And I'm not speaking for uh, Kim Worthy because we, we've had a number of conversations when I first, after my appointment, and she shared a lot of insights. So I understand why. But things have changed. And that's not how the relationship works with most police agencies and the prosecutor's office. It just doesn't work that way. And I'm in a place to say it because I have worked in four different cities. So I know, I know how it works. 
So. Uh, Steve Peterson, um, obviously a, a lot of questions about, uh, you know, the, the burden, uh, the certainty of prosecution, all those things coming into play. Uh, Teresa, uh, does the female victim of the stabbing, Samantha Wall, seem like it could be personal as stabbings can sometimes be? Before you answer that, Steve, let's just get some of the nuts and bolts. Um, so the Detroit News also reported that this person that they took into custody in the Samantha Wall case, and I'm going to put her photo up so we can see her like we did with Devon Hoover. Uh, this is Samantha Wall. Um, and this is her home, by the way, which was the crime scene. So uh Police say that that and this is according to four different law enforcement sources that there was an ambiguous statement that this particular suspect made to the police about her October 21st uh, killing. Uh, this person was also an acquaintance of Samantha Wall. He was detained in Kalamazoo, which is 140 miles from Detroit. He gave this statement. Um, but then uh, we're talking about the state. Uh, the prosecutor's office and Kim Worthy's office told uh, the Detroit News that police had not provided their office with a request for a warrant, which is what the chief was just talking about, uh, did not uh, provide their office with a request for a warrant containing charges against the detained man in connection with Wool's slaying. In other words, 48 hours passed and they could not um, ask for this warrant from the state. Steve, this is a lot to unpack. It seems like this person knows Samantha Wall. What's so bizarre to me, and maybe Darnell has an answer, I don't think this person has ever been publicly identified, which is kind of crazy. Um, Steve, have you ever seen something like this? This high-profile case, someone gets taken into custody and the media doesn't find out who this person is? What's going on? Yeah, uh, that is that is rather strange, isn't it? That somebody yeah. hasn't leaked out a name. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember reading in here, uh, in my research that not only was this person arrested uh, like two weeks after Samantha was killed, but that this person also attended her funeral, right? Yeah. So was, if this person attended the funeral, what are the chances this person attended the wedding? What are the chances this person drove Samantha home? Previous um, listener posted a question saying, Hey, could it be personal if they were stabbed, as most stabbings or some stabbings are? Most stabbings are personal. Mm -hmm. right? So maybe this person walked Samantha in. Maybe they went to the wedding together. Maybe Samantha had a drink or two. Maybe they both go in the house together. Maybe he makes an advance. She rejects him. He gets upset. Picks up a knife that's nearby in the kitchen. Whatever. It's all speculation at this point. We don't know anything. We're making this all up as we go. Yeah. But what I, about this? What about this notion that they have a statement? Um, how often does that happen where the suspect in custody gives a statement and police still, you know, possibly aren't buying that statement? Or oh, it happens happen all the time. Okay. <laughs> here's, here's a clue. Bad guys lie. They lie to their own lawyers. They lie to cops. And so they make a statement. Maybe the statement was, I didn't take her home. I was never there. But they have something that proves that he was there. So if they confront them with the evidence that shows that they're lying, they can kind of adjust their story depending on how the, the interview goes. And now suddenly maybe there is maybe an excuse for something. Maybe there is, I don't want to say alibi because that's not the word I'm really looking to use. But now it's like, well, I guess that's possible. Remember, police have tremendous discretion. 
And nobody wants to let the innocent go. But at the same time, we don't want to try to convict. Uh, we don't. They don't want the guilty to go. We don't want to try to convict the innocent either. So we walk that line. And when we are convinced we have the right person, and if we can develop enough evidence that can confirm and prove what our beliefs are, then we bring that to the prosecutor. And we say, this is what we have. This is what we believe. This is what we believe confirms everything. As Darnell said earlier, here are all the elements of the crime. We can address all these elements because you have to prove every one of them in order to get a conviction on that specific charge. And then you go forward. Well, people make statements all the time, all the time. And most of them are lies. <laughs> you know? So it, it, is that unusual? No, that's not unusual. I find it more unusual that, that we haven't figured out who this person is. How Agreed. come the name's not been released? Is this, uh, is this a public figure? Is this somebody of some prominence? I don't, I don't know. Is this, you know, so it, again, it's all speculation, but as time goes on and we don't find the answers to these, it, it, it just, it gets my spidey sense tingling pretty heavily. Yeah. It gets uh, curiouser and curiouser. As they say, Jammin says nice tree in the background, Steve, really in the holiday <laughs> spirit. Harder to get in the ho- I don't want to rub it in right now, but I'm about to. Hard to get in the holiday spirit when it's 82 degrees in Miami, but I'm working on it. It's a new, it's an adjustment. I'm working on it. Don't send the hate mail to me. Uh, hey, Monas. Darnell looks unhappy with that. Uh, hey, Mona says, Darnell, you got a free invite to Miami whenever you want. Does it frustrate the police? <laughs> Does it frustrate the police when they make an arrest and they are not prosecuted? Absolutely. Uh, there's nothing more frustrating because just as Steve just said, is we police don't make an arrest. I mean, no, there are some bad apples that are out and about that are doing that. But uh, for the majority of us, we they don't make an arrest with the intention of just appeasing the public or appeasing anything. That that's why this is really unique. All these both these situations. I mean, you know, the arrest was made, or or these people were detained, or whatever you want to say, because they felt they had enough to detain these people, or at least enough to gather more, to get more information. And so again, there's this disconnect that really, it it makes it very frustrating because you're not going to do, you do your job, you do diligence and it doesn't happen. And so it it becomes a huge frustration on on all ends. And and again, justifiably, I, I expect the prosecutors to say, hey, Get us everything you can get us so we can get this bad guy off the street and lock them up for however long we, we they deserve to be locked up. Uh, Blue Babe uh, lives in the area. She says, I live five minutes from where uh, Dr. Devin Hoover worked, 15 minutes from his house. No media on him. The hospital employees still talk about it, but they are not the news. Uh, we're trying to bring light. In fairness, uh, News Nation uh, did interview one of his friends the other day, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. The chief is still here, I think. I just don't see his handsome face. When I do, I'm going to bring him back in. But, um, Darnell, back to you on this. So, Chief White, uh, regarding now we're back to Samantha Wool, gave another um, nebulous statement. There's the chief's face. <laughs> Uh, Chief White says about Samantha Wall uh, back when they arrested the suspect, he, he says, and I quote, a suspect has been taken into custody 
for the murder of Samantha Wool. While this is an encouraging development in our desire to bring closure for Ms. Wool's family, it does not represent the conclusion of our work in, the, in this case. The details of the investigation will remain confidential at this time to ensure the integrity of the important steps that remain. Investigators will be continuing to work with prosecutors until the conclusion of this investigation. Again, I was in broadcast news for 27 years. I, I don't know of a time where someone who was arrested, that their identity remains concealed and hidden. What do you think's going on here? Could it be someone who is high profile? And even if that was the case, the media is usually pretty good about figuring out who it was. Real, really good. I, I think one of the things is, is that, and it, this doesn't matter because the media, as you know, can can search high and low and figure it out. But one of the things is that the person, I, I don't think, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong from all that, that I've seen, read, and and have heard, did not live in the metro Detroit area. Again, lived in, in uh, uh, Kalamazoo, which is two and a half hours away. That still doesn't mean, it still doesn't mean that it's, it's somebody that you can't get the information um, you know, as just you can't find it. My, my again, speculation is that, the, you know, to go along with Steve, there's a reason. Maybe it's high profile. Maybe it's a type of relationship that, um, that you know, uh, uh, the, the family or friends don't want to disclose. There's something going on that it, it, that does preclude this person from being identified. And whether it's high profile, whether it's, it's something that, that uh, you know, somebody wants to keep secret, there's a reason why it's secret. And it really has been that way since this has been announced. And it is, it really does. It makes your spidey senses come up and makes you really, really wonder on all levels. Uh, shout out, by the way, to Space Coast running the scenes from L.A., behind the scenes, and, of course, our mods. I see I Am Not T-Pain, Gen X Granny, the best name in all YouTube, Shaquille Oatmeal, uh, all hard at work. I apologize if I'm missing any of the mods, but uh, these guys do the hard work, and I appreciate it, uh, keeping everyone in check. But we've got, I would say, best guest, better community. Um, Steve Peterson, back to you here um, about this being a hate crime with Samantha Wall, And this is the quote from Chief White. Right now, the evidence does not take us there. When we talk about hate crimes, there are certain tracks they take. We're confident that uh, we don't have any indication of that at this point. Now, uh, Samantha Wall also worked for a left-leaning um, representative, Alyssa Slotkin, who happens to be Jewish as well. Uh, what do you make of this statement? Do you buy it 100%? Uh, again, tensions were inflamed. Detroit, um, you know, has a very high Muslim population. I think the highest outside the, you know, the Mideast. There, obviously, there was a horrific story where a, a, a young Palestinian boy was stabbed recently. I think that was in the Detroit area. Horrible. But obviously, um, emotions are tense, especially with the war in the Middle East. How do you think they're so certain that this is not a hate crime, which is what everyone, you know, jumped to the conclusion of it being. Well, when I first read the story, that was the first thing I thought of. Mm -hmm. It was a hate crime. It happened, you know, within days, maybe two weeks or whatever, um, less than two weeks from October 7th. So that's the first thing that came to mind, knowing the the background of Detroit and, and the makeup of Detroit. You know, we, there is a huge... Uh, Arabic and Muslim population in Detroit. So you've got a, a, a very prominent Jewish leader, the head of the president of the synagogue, 
who's murdered. That's the first thing that came to my mind. Um, so when the chief, when I read his quote that there's no evidence of any type of anti-Semitic uh, intent or, or relating to this this murder, it struck me as very strange. But also, you got to remember, unless you can prove that it was a hate crime, you don't want to stoke that fire. You don't want to go in there and start and, and start saying we've got a hate crime. We've got to get because boy, you're just gonna you're just you're, you're just poking the bear. You know, you can only swing in a hornet's nest for so long and you're going to get stung. So we don't know what evidence was in the house. We don't know what that blood trail led to. If you're following it back up from Samantha's body back into the house. We don't know what the crime scene looks like in the house. Right. Was it a knife that came from the house? Was it a knife that the attacker brought with them? We don't know. We don't know. So we're all we're all Monday morning quarterbacking something that we've not seen any of the plays on. We don't know the stories. So we're all just kind of we're all speculating. And it's easy. It's easy to speculate. Uh, Chief Craig, I'm curious and you're muted. So you got to unmute yourself. Um, I would do it for you. Okay, but I can't. You, um, you know, if you were back in the chief's seat right now, what would you be doing tomorrow when you got to your office? about these two cases well first of all i think my reputation is clear people knew that uh as they like to say jokingly i never met a camera i didn't like so <laughs> i would um certainly keep the community updated i would give them as much information as possible without compromising uh the case i mean Again, when you make statements, and I hate to keep going back to the snow statement, or we don't think right now uh, this is a hate crime, well, then maybe we need to say why we don't think. I, I think that's the next step in that conversation. But we don't think it's a hate, hate crime because we believe that the suspect in this instance was acquainted to the sus, I mean, the victim. And we know that because there was no forced entry uh, and the crime occurred inside of the residence and she ultimately left. I said, those kind of things you can say without undermining the case. And at least it gives folks a sense that the police department has really taken a, a critical look. But again, I wanna go back, cause I think this is really important. Uh, Police officers arrest folks based on probable cause. A prosecutor doesn't need to make that decision for a police officer. Now, the prosecutor's office will swear a warrant out based on probable cause. Certainty of prosecution is not probable cause. I said something after the George Floyd murder. I was the lone and only chief that came out and said when George Floyd was murdered by the Minneapolis police officer that they had enough probable cause to make the arrest. They did. Now, that doesn't mean he would have been convicted, doesn't mean, but there was enough probable cause. That's what police officers do each and every day. And I, I don't ever recall having a call, wait a minute, I got a guy with a gun 
he doesn't have a, a concealed weapons permit. He's a felon. I know all of this, so I'm going to make the arrest based on probable cause. And then ultimately, the prosecutor's officer makes a decision. Yeah, I think there was enough probable cause. Then they might say, well, did you interview all the neighbors up and down the street where the arrest was made? No, we didn't. No, we didn't. We got 48 hours, you know, to make sure this guy's in custody. And if you need to have the neighbors on that block where the arrest was made interviewed, we can do that. But a lot of things we just can't do because we just don't have the time to do it. And as it was said earlier, there's a lot of speculation. We're all just speculating. But because I've worked in the agency, because I've worked with the prosecutor's office, I can almost kind of say what I think. But that's unfair to uh, the chief, unfair to the prosecutor. But yes, I would do things differently. And I always did. It's no secret. I always did things differently when it comes to this kind of stuff. There's a lesson in that, everybody. You do things different. You end up being the chief of police in three major cities. Mm -hmm. You do things the same. You just end up. Well, I, I was a good student. Not, I was a not good being student. the chief. I spent 30 years in Los Angeles. And what better place to learn how to be a police officer? And I rose through the ranks. So, you know, I learned a lot. You know, and I took that training and that experience to me when I became the chief in Portland, then later Cincinnati and back here to uh, Detroit. But the thing I know most, the community wants to know, and you have got to feed the community. You've got to do it. Yep. And sometimes yep. it's not always uh, in alignment with the prosecutor's office. Yep. There's a conflict there at times. Look at that. Rachel with a super sticker, born and raised in Detroit, moved to San Diego, California, because I was cold, LOL. <laughs> Whole family is still there. I'll be flying in and attending the synagogue that Sam was president of next month for a family bar mitzvah. Uh, Rachel, please reach out, surviving the survivor at Gmail. If anyone there wants to speak, like I said, we have an open door policy. I want to keep these uh, stories out there. Uh, they deserve the attention. Uh, let's see what this comment is. Thanks for covering this. This is from Rachel, the same person. This was devastating for my family in Michigan. Darnell, so News Nation, Ashley Banfield, who does great work at News Nation, she spoke to the family of um, Devin Hoover and also to some friends. There's a friend. I actually, I don't know if she spoke to the family, but she spoke to this friend. Her name is Carol Gove. And this was her quote on News Nation. This is back to Devin Hoover here, the openly gay neurosurgeon murdered in his uh very nice home uh, in that affluent section of Detroit. The quote from the friend, there's been no communication from the police, nothing. The family has had uh, nothing. I've had nothing either. It was always the same thing. Oh, we're tying up all the details by the time that snow falls. And then to hear him say that it was just an artful expression was just extraordinarily painful. It's just like, I don't know what to make of it. If you can't believe the police, who can you can I, believe? This is definitely. Let go me ahead, interject because I'm going to give you a, a story, and uh, Darnell probably remembers this uh, because it happened early in my tenure. Uh, there was a white female from Gross Point murdered on the east side of Detroit. Uh, it was a very tragic, high-profile case. Uh, it was believed that uh, her and her companions. Somebody was looking for drugs and 
maybe it was mistaken identity. Bottom line was uh, she was fatally shot. So within two weeks, or maybe a week, uh, there was a little local cable TV show, and I met the mother and the grandfather of the victim. And so I said in a very kind of taking it for granted, I says, oh, you know, I said, you know, first of all, sorry for your loss, but I trust that the detectives are keeping you updated on information concerning this case. So she looks at me and she says, no, we haven't met with a detective yet. Now, keep in mind, it must have been two, maybe even three weeks. I said, you have got to be kidding me. And so instantaneously, I got on the phone and called the commanding officer of homicide. I said, please tell me what I just heard is not true. That no detective has had a conversation with the family. Now, Darnell knows this. Investigation 101, you first talk to who? The family. If for no other reason you offer your condolences, they get to put a face with the investigator. Okay? And, and, and then that way, but more times than not, sometimes in that initial meeting with the family, they say, well, you know, uh, detective, I got to tell you that there was something strange going on with my daughter. She was being harassed over the last couple of weeks. And that morsel of information is critical. And, and so my point was, as a matter of routine, this department didn't do that. They just didn't do it. And so, of course, that was cultural. I changed it. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case now, but one of the things I was very big on, you talk to the family out the gate because you don't know what you might learn. And it's, it's called uh, public service. It's, that's how you serve the public. Yeah, I, I, Chief, I'd have to agree with you 100%. If you don't start there, you know, where are you going to start? But Darnell, to the Chief's point, uh, this friend of Devin Hoover goes on, and this is the this is kind of disturbing. The friend says she got to the crime scene an hour after the murder, after she was alerted. She says there was no one there. There was no crime scene tape around the house or around the yard or around anywhere, and there were no police. There was no one there. She says a couple of hours later, and I quote here, they walked right by us, the police, and took the duct tape, a little piece of duct tape on the iron gate that led into the backyard, into the driveway, which was taped together. They took that off, walked around the greenhouse, and then left. Uh, if this is true, and I don't know that it is because people get emotional, and I've seen that as a reporter, uh, it is disturbing because it's not proper police protocol. Do you know anything about this or I, I don't. I can't speak to that. But, you know, from I can speak to the professionalism of one of the things that I did prior to coming uh, to WDIV is I worked for the Michigan Commission on Law Enforcement Standards, which is the, the standard setting regulatory agency for all police officers in Michigan. 
Um, and, and I can just tell you that from a, a training perspective, from I mean, that if, if that were to happen, it's, it's completely inappropriate. The team needs to be roped off. Uh, you know, now, again, I can't. The chief can speak more to this. Maybe there's, you know, we're, we are talking about a very historic area. We're talking about an area, an affluent area. And maybe there were some things done covertly. But to not have a crime scene roped off and, and uh, you know, to, to still be in an active investigation, I, I can't see that happening. Um, but again, maybe in, in some affluent areas, you know, things are done a little more co covertly at times. But again, that, that wouldn't be proper protocol. So I, I would hope that that wasn't the case, that that wasn't the case, Joel. Yeah. Chief Craig, if you got to your office and you got a note saying from a neighbor there, or a family member saying that there was no police crime scene tape around this house, what would your next move be? I'd call bosses in. You ask anybody that worked in the department when I was a chief, I would never hesitate. They had a nickname. Did you get Craig today? And Craig <laughs> just meant simply that I'm going to call you in. You're going to be held accountable. And, and again, um, I remember what the department was like when I got to Detroit in 2013 compared to what it was like when I left. And certainly there were a lot of changes that, that happened, but for the life of me, I can't understand why there was no crime scene tape. Um, and, and, and maybe I don't even want to speculate on that, you know, and maybe the crime was isolated inside the house, but, but yet there's still a pathway of escape. Suspect didn't stay in the house. He left some kind of way. Um, so it, it just sends the wrong message. Um, and, and again, if because I was intimate with these cases, because what I generally would do every Monday on homicide cases, my team in, we would go through in a very diligent way and have conversations. Where are we with this case? What are we doing? How come we're not doing X? What about Y? You know, because once I found it out, and going back to the the young lady who was murdered from Gross Point, that was a big deal for me. That was a big deal. I mean, how do you not talk to the family first? Yeah, that that I simply don't understand. Steve was, Peterson. That was, normal. that was really the normal way of doing business. And yeah. I, I just wasn't accustomed that to that and so we changed it and it, and it worked out very well. well that's probably why there was an 11 percent clearance rate at that time uh <laughs> yala says did you get craig today lol steve <laughs> peterson and we'll start to wrap up in just a moment uh <laughs> um a person of interest uh was arrested in connection with the devin hoover case back on april 28th uh, again just like in the samantha wool case this person is ultimately released this guy had uh, two gunshot uh, wounds to the back of his head, so it's almost like an execution-style killing. Uh, there was a welfare check done at the house because uh, he was supposed mm -hmm. to be, I think, at a wedding in, in Indiana or some sort of family event, and he didn't show there. So there was this welfare check where they ultimately found him basically assassinated. Uh, you're obviously a very seasoned investigator, Steve Peterson. First of all, what do you make of this Again, you talked about a little bit, this person in custody being released. And where would you go with this investigation now? I know you're not on the inside, but, you know, just 
I guess, speculatively speaking, where would you go right now? <laughs> well, everything we say is speculation in this case, <laughs> in either case, for that matter. You know, well, the, to me, what you want to look for, especially when you're when when you're murdered in your home, is who has access to the home. You know, so it's either going to be if there's not any signs of forced entry, it's either going to be family, friends, co-workers, acquaintances that maybe like the pool boy or somebody who works for you or a neighbor, somebody you know that you would allow in who already has access to your home, somebody you're living with. You know what I mean? Somebody you're in a relationship with. And, and we have no idea if the suspect, the person that they anticipate, fits any of these molds. So then you would start looking at, okay, well, we suspect Joel did it. So if we suspect Joel did it, we're going to stop. too scared looking. of prison. Don't ever do that to me. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> afraid of prison. Go ahead. You slip pretty quick. You know, we yeah. start pulling your phone records. We start looking at that kind of stuff. We start, Technology is so amazing today that we can, we can start looking at cell phone records. And it used to just be able to show us what number you called and how long the phone call was. Today, we can tell you where that phone was located when the call was made. Where did you go after that call was made? What was your what was your 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 method of travel or your route of travel? We can tell all these things that we couldn't do 10, 15 years ago. So if you start looking at that, then you start looking at all maybe whatever in the doctor's neighborhood, as an example, you figure those homes, there's got to be some good security uh, features and cameras in those properties. Somebody picks something up. Now we don't know exactly when the doctor was murdered. Right? We don't. We've not seen anything. Uh, at least I haven't seen the autopsy. I've heard talk about it, so I don't know at what point, at what time the doctor was murdered. How long his body was hidden in the attic crawl space? Was it days? Was it hours? We don't know. But that starts giving us the pinpoint to where do we start looking. At that, we start interviewing as many people as we can. We start narrowing down the people who had access, and and we work our way. We work our way outwards from there. Uh, let me rile up STS Nation. My mom is going to throw a fit, as you guys all know. This show is named after my dear mother, who is still with us. With us, and I have a book coming out about her. She's a Holocaust survivor. This comment, because people are talking about, it, came from Panda Fet, like a panda bear. F E T. Panda Fet. One star rating on Apple. People say don't uh, egg the trolls on. Here's the yeah, comment. On do Apple. it, Joe. Do it. Thank <laughs> you, Darnell. I love you for saying that. Does his mother need money so badly that he needs to put her yenta, which is anti-Semitic, attitude on the air? It's way too much. She's too old. Panda Fett. Buzz right off Panda Fett. I am not T-Pain. We need a buzz off Panda Fett. P-A-N-D-A. <laughs> F-E-T. You know, if you have nothing nice to say, you can say it to me, but don't say it about my 84 year old mother. What a, it's disgraceful. Horrible. I would, I would Horrible. Agree. I would agree. I will defend my mother. So there's one other weird thing here, uh, Darnell, and then we'll get closing thoughts on this. So this Dr. Devin Hoover, um, the night before his funeral, after the murder, his 12,800 square foot home, which by the way is now on sale, I read in the chat for two point two or 2.4 million that home is broken into 
Uh, police never said if anything was stolen. This is the night before the funeral. That is also really, really odd. As a as a veteran investigator, do you make any? Is that just serendipity, circum, uh, You know, just coincidence. What is that? You you know you you can't in an investigation consider anything coincidence. But I can tell you that uh, Detroit is full of opportunists, and in in this situation, uh, sadly, uh, you know you you can't take it for granted or just pass by, but. There, there are many opportunists with that will take advantage of the knowledge and the fact that this house is is no longer occupied. It's in a high end area. And so it, it could just be that. Uh, and again, you don't want to just take that at, at face value and make that decision. It definitely adds to the mystique and the, the, the sadness and frustration of this case. But um, in, in Detroit, sometimes that people, they, they just will. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. There's an opportunity. They'll take advantage of that. Uh, Lynn Parrish says Boston, Edison, and Palmer Park are safe places. The problem is that you'd have to be airlifted in to avoid the surrounding areas full of crime and thugs, followed by yeah, Dwayne, Dwayne Harris, friend of the show. He's new to STS. See him down in the chat. Love having him. Almost every home on Boston Boulevard has cameras, Joel. They've got to be looking at those cameras, of course. Um, Steve Peterson, the guy was the most senior DEA street agent when he retired. He that's because he said he was the oldest. But Steve is an amazing investigator, originally from Boston. He actually broke the uh, the tr- the real life Walter White Breaking Bad case. We did a show on it. It's called Surviving My Biggest Case with Steve Peterson. You can find it on our YouTube channel. He was also featured in the Alec Murdoch saga. Uh, on a Netflix series about that. Steve Peterson, are these crimes going to be solved? Uh, Do you have hope? And what are investigators, what do they have to be doing right now? Oh, I always have hope. I always have hope. In some instances, these cases take years. You know, you just quoted the Netflix story. The case that I was involved in, that that person was killed now, uh, eight years ago. You know, it's coming up on nine years ago. Now, no one's been prosecuted in that case. I can tell you who did it, but no one's been prosecuted. Okay? So it doesn't matter what you know. What matters is what you can prove. I feel confident. I feel confident that Detroit PD will connect all the dots. They'll get enough evidence up there. I don't know anything about the prosecutor in Detroit. If you've got somebody like the the DA in LA County or in Philadelphia where they don't prosecute anybody for anything. Maybe you won't. And that just adds to the frustration of the cops because they're out there doing their job. They can't get criminals prosecuted. So after a while, the cops just go, why do I bother? Because I bring the cases and nobody gets prosecuted. So why am I busting my butt? Why am I putting my life at risk to do this if nobody goes to jail? You know, so, I mean, it kind of builds on it. I don't know what Detroit's prosecutors are like. I pray to God they're not like that and that they'll find the balance for what's needed and what they can prove. I'm confident. Well, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm well optimistic. said. And we're, we're doing this whole Dan Markell, Charlie Adelson uh, murder case. I uh, was the ex-brother-in-law of, of uh, Dan Markell. He was just convicted, and it's over nine years. Someone in the chat said it's easy to commit crimes, hard to prosecute them. There is something to be said about that. Uh, there's certain people, by the way, comments are flowing in about Carm. Let me tell you something. The one person who's honestly not bothered by this is Carm. The funniest thing to me would be to see Carm confront 
Panda Fett in real life because Carm can can uh, can can figuratively, metaphorically undress people in three seconds. She would whoop this woman's behind, and it would be <laughs> hilarious to watch. But I can promise you, she's not upset. She'll be annoyed that I read that comment. She's too classy her. for that. She's too classy most of the time. Uh, there's certain people you meet and you feel like you've known them for a lifetime, and that is Darnell Blackburn. I can assure you, if he is willing, we are going to have him as a regular uh, best guest. He has joined WDIV Local 4 because of that beautiful smile of his. Uh, lights up the uh, camera. But also, Darnell, I see behind you. Is that your business? I, I, I want to yeah. give you a plug. What is the business? Uh, Let everyone yeah. know. It's uh, Pratt International. Um, it's uh, a consulting company. I do a lot on implicit bias and uh, leadership training as well as inspirational, motivational speaking. So I appreciate it. Appreciate it, Joe. And I can't wait to meet Car, man. Well, let me tell you <laughs> something. I have a book coming out and I think uh, pre-orders go on sale end of January and we're going to do a book tour and I'm going to come to Detroit. I'm going to invite Chief Craig and I'm going to invite Darnell. And I'm going to have mean, you guys. Awesome. Um, Darnell, we oh, I'm get, sorry. Uh, get a website too. www.prattintl.org. Sorry, forgot about that. Back. Yeah, one, more, right. one more time. One more time. One more time. www.prattintl.org. Prattintl.org. Prattintl.org. Prattintl with one T. Prattintl.org. And I'll put it in the show summary. Um, Darnell. Justice has got to be coming in both these cases. Will it, do you think? Are you ever the optimist? I am ever the optimist, brother. I, I, I can't be on the law enforcement team and not be um, ever the optimist. It, it, and I think the delay does not mean denial. It just means delay till we make sure that we have it all right. So I, I think that that uh, I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll get some closure coming. Um, and hopefully that closure comes by arresting the people responsible for that. And I, I will say this real quick, too, before I jump off, Joe, or before we shut this down. You know, it, it was I can't remember which one of, of, of our, our, our watchers of, of the nation that brought this up. But they said um, uh, uh, that a stabbing is personal. And typically they are. And Steve kind of alluded to that, too. And so stabbings uh, typically aren't hate crimes. They're love crimes. <laughs> and I just just leave that there. It's not a hate. It's love, typically. And that doesn't mean that that's always the case. But that's very intimate, especially when there is no uh, breaking and entering in, seen in the, in the vicinity of the household as well. So just keeping that in mind. But and, thanks and for I'm having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. That's very important. Uh, hate and love. Uh, it is a fine line indeed. Uh, we love Chief James Craig. He looks cozy in that chair. He's got that sweater on yeah, in Detroit. I'm not going to rub it in. Today, man. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, I'm, Sorry I'm, I'm about still that. stuck in the L.A. climate. One yeah, your, so Chief your, Craig, uh, someone, someone in the chat wants to know where you started in L.A. Where did you begin uh, and where did these cases end? Yeah, well, I started I, right out of the academy. Um, I went to a, a station called Venice Division, where Venice Beach, those, your viewers and listeners, uh, Venice was a an area where the beach was located. So my first duty assignment was riding the dune buggy on uh, Venice Beach in shorts. And um, I got many stories from my time there. But then, you know, as I progressed through the department and uh, I ended up probably the the greatest joy was I was running the station 
in South LA called Southwest. And I was the area commanding officer that station for the last six years of my, my 28 year tenure. And uh, very exciting about the work we did there. Uh, a lot of gang members, it was affluent in some areas and then uh, certainly had the, the level of violence. So I always just say that that job there prepped me uh, for becoming a chief of police. And so I'll, I'll never forget that experience, but every place I've been, and I always say this, my best experience was uh, when I came home and spent eight years as a chief of police. Uh, that was probably the best time I had uh, as a chief of police here in Detroit. Um, and I run into Detroit police officers all the time. And uh, hey, chief, we miss you. And I say, well, I miss you too. And so um, it was a, a great time. And so I decided to go down the political path. Politics is very different, but, uh, you know, I'm taking a stab at running for U.S. Senate. For your viewers and listeners, chief, vote for Chief, chief Craig. Chief, vote for Chief, chief James Craig. Uh, we have a lot of momentum. You know, my name ID is strong because, as you probably know, I've done a lot of um, a lot of Fox News Nation, uh, Newsmax, uh, as a pundit, talking about a, a variety of issues. Uh, impacting public safety. So uh, it's worked out very well for me. But we're wishing you uh, the best of luck with that Senate run. Let us know how we can help. Lambrielli saying what everyone here is thinking. Love Darnell. Love Chief Craig. Someone reminded me, by the way, I reached out to him this morning. America's most respected detective, Phil Waters, who had a clearance rate of 93% of the Houston PD and something like a 95% confession rate, uh, an insane number. He is having knee replacement surgery. He had it today. I checked in this morning. STS is sending him a little something. Uh, you know he is a man of God. He could use some prayers if you do that. Absolutely. Send him our way, and I will try to get them uh, to fill waters. But he had a complete knee replacement today, which is supposed to be agonizing uh, when you're coming out of it. But huge, huge thanks to uh, this panel today. Love love talking to investigators, uh, not under these circumstances, but it is always interesting uh, to hear how they are playing these cases out in their own uh, head as uh, they're, they're developing in real time. So massive shout out to them. Jen S. Karma's so smart. Love her POV. Experiences everything. She won't let this bother her at all. No, she will not. Love you, America. Love you, Boston. Love you, South Carolina. And tonight, most of all, love you. Final seconds of the game, a chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system 
or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. 